Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin here, as always, with my trusty sidekick, Miguel. I guess I'm the trusty sidekick, Miguel. As always. <laughs> Today, I have the great good fortune to talk with Greg Esparza, and we're going to be talking about uh, industry evolution, moving the, um, moving the ball down the field, to use a sports metaphor. You can pick whatever sport you want there. I, th- I was thinking soccer. Soccer's a good one, yeah. In that moment. Um, and where we're going here is we're, we're talking with an a industry professional, a lot like a lot of you listening, who has decided to take a leap and is working on a project now that has CLT um, and also aspires to no foam and no concrete. So before we go there, that, that's, that's where we're headed. Um, please go ahead and tell us about yourself, Greg. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm Greg. Uh, I'm a uh, co-owner, one of the uh, founders of Moon Tower Design Build, uh, which we started in you know 2009, 2010. We were getting all of our like legal paperwork in order. Um, yeah, so through that process, I've you know done everything from <laughs> serve the you know kind of hypoth you know the the boss kind of label role, be like, oh, like this is a little weird. Could you talk to you know Greg about it and uh, sharing that with um, you know with uh, my with my co-owners, uh, but then a lot of stuff on the financial side and like bookkeeping, a little bit more focused really on the build side for uh, at least the last um, you know or for the end of the 2010s. Um, That's a long but, time. Yeah, but we got started like um, so a designer uh, in the field building houses. Yeah, we got started with. Uh, uh, Frank, uh, Frank, Jeff, and I, my partner Maggie, really early on, and then uh, my partner Amber, really, you know, really early on, like the you know an early uh, Jeff Hartman, like an early part of the team, where we were at least for the first couple of years, um, we were designing, you know, designing the buildings, working very closely with the clients on it, but we were also project managing it. We were working with the subcontractors. We were doing the you know work that we could do with our limited kind of skill set so it's like you know we were you know doing demolition we were putting in installation we were uh doing basic framing like we you know sanded down some floors once and uh, we really came out of uh that you know that time to graduate which was you know, I always say it was like kind of a fun time to graduate because it was easy, fun, easy to find like friends that would be available to go swimming like during the <laughs> week. Um, but uh, yeah, it was there wasn't uh, much work uh, or there weren't many like steady jobs available out there in that particularly the two thousand eight two thousand nine bracket. So yeah, and I graduated in two thousand eight. So there was a couple you know a couple years where I was yeah. running a farmer's market doing a oh wow uh yeah uh helping to put on symposiums about kind of around like public art mm-hmm. urban design architecture kind of adjacent uh things uh and that's so actually architecture what, in the world yeah architecture in the world which was really my <laughs> interest in yeah that was really my big interest in school and that 
kind of put me in a place where it's like, oh, I started connecting with people who had, you know, yeah. small scale needs for architectural services. Being like, hey, could you come look at this bathroom that I've got? Yeah. Like. Greg, you said your company is called Moon Tower Design Build. What, what is a moon tower for the non-Austin listeners of this show? <laughs> yeah, so a moon tower is a kind of shortening of the full name Moonlight Tower. Uh, and the Moonlight Towers were uh, built around town in like the 1890s, like 1894, 1896. Um, I think there's about eight left-ish that One, were originally... Right over there. there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, always, <laughs> that's always good. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the inspiration for the name was, it's like, oh, this was a urban scale, you know, basically an urban scale effort uh, that had an impact on neighborhoods, like these moonlight towers would light a 300 foot radius right. uh, that at the time was um, yeah, ambitious. Yeah. At the time it was like, okay, like how, uh, how can we provide a safer, you know, uh, nighttime environment uh, for, uh, for Austinites? Electric power wasn't as common at that time. I think they were like tying it into like the dam in like the really yeah. early days or something like that. I think I saw something like that at City Hall or a nugget like that yeah, at City Hall. The moon towers were a big, a lot of listeners might not know this, but there was a, a serial killer in Austin at the time, which is actually the first recorded serial killer in the country, who is some believe was actually Jack the Ripper. They believe he left Austin and went to London, um, and people were freaked out. And so lighting the city was a big yeah. uh, reactionary kind of moment. Too. I, I was trying to avoid the, <laughs> the murder tie-in, but uh, you, you, everybody, everybody wants to uh, steer into that, and yeah, the... Yeah, it certainly is a popular podcast theme, so I'm yeah. glad you, uh, yes, there was, uh, there were anti-murder, um, public infrastructure, <laughs> so, um, Architecture and public health. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right up y'all's alley. Yeah. yeah. Some Austin folklore. All right, so tying into that is the practice of architecture itself, and I think a lot of us know, I mean, I have many, many good friends that are architects, including you. And I actually, uh, my dorm in college happened to be right next to the architecture building, and I would study all night. They were up all night. I thought I was the only one going through a hazing ritual in college. So architecture, it's like it, it's like connoted in the architecture profession is like, oh man, we work hard. We work long hours, long days. You know, we're we're dedicated to our craft, head down at our desks, doing architecture, doing design. Um, and I know from talking to you that, that you know you have a, at least some perspective of uh, architecture as you know what is high quality architecture not being answered solely by the opinions of architects practicing in the field, and so you personally thought sought out like to break the silos to not be isolated to think about broader impacts, right? Yes, that. That is correct. Um, so I went into our, to architecture school uh, as an undergraduate, um, which is a pretty crazy. Um, that's a, that's a leap in itself. Um, you're just you know, and I, I did not know what I was getting into. Uh, many of my you know students at that time had a better idea, but I was like, oh, okay, cool, like bring some notebooks. Let's let's do this, and <laughs> you know, then we were doing like you know life drawing of like naked people like week one be like oh wow like my what I needed for my biology class is not what I need for this you know for this education and um it, which that took a while to get uh you know kind of get adjusted to but uh over those 
you know, it's definitely a fire hose of, uh, of technical training, um, but it's also a fire hose of uh, values uh, in terms of like kind of understanding like, okay, we're an architecture school, you know, we're not an architecture school to just like, you know, make, make buildings, make like, you know, hot dog buildings, not that there's anything wrong with hot dogs, but uh, I mean, we're not gonna get into that. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it's like what, the conversation about what is a good building, what is a quality building, and having those values uh, talk to you, reading books that kind of espouse certain kind of value positions. And then also I, I feel like maybe with the lack of sleep and just the really amount of time you're spending in that school, there's a lot of stuff that you kind of get through like osmosis, like yeah. being like, oh, like this person and this person and this person, like, you know, professors, older colleagues, like uh, whatever, like, you know, oh, like this is what it means to uh, do a good building or at least like this is what good buildings look like I think um, and um, yeah so uh, I got really interested in that but like you were like you were referencing like at that time I was like oh man like uh, it seems like there's a lot of other people at UT uh, who have a lot of great uh, knowledge and insight hey, to share university. yeah <laughs> um, and these um, you know they're uh, research tools, academic insights, whatever, like, would apply to whether we're doing good buildings or not, like, um, and the merit of a building, uh, the, the merit of a piece of architecture doesn't solely rely on what an architect, what an architect says or an architect's opinion, uh, you really should, like, try to, even if it is a designed uh, you know, just kind of a hypothetical design in school. It's like, oh yeah, we need to take these ideas and these conversations and like, you know, mix them in with all of these other kind of uh, explorations that are happening on campus. So that's really uh, what I ended up doing when I got a second major, really inspired by uh, the course Architecture Society that Larry Specks taught for mm -hmm. decades um, and, uh, and other classes I was taking, but being like, oh, well, I want to talk to, I want to take a course on like cultural anthropology and I'm going to take a course in like, you know, sociology and, and, and things like that to uh, try to broaden uh, my perspective, which uh, led me down a lot of different roads. But um, yeah, it was, it was, I'm very glad I, I'm very glad I did it and it did end up being relevant, uh, you know, <laughs> relevant to what I'm doing now in, in, in some way. So absolutely. I mean, you're also you're an architect or you're a designer. You're also a caring human on the planet. Uh, I think it's interesting in the context of social justice right now. There, you know, there's this term mansplaining, and uh, really mansplaining is is a reflection of a culture in which originally men grew up, where not knowing was a risk. Right? It would, you risk um, relational belonging. So basically, mansplaining is, oh, I know how to feel safe in society. It's, it's to have answers come out of my mouth, um, and I'm not comfortable with silence. And interestingly, um, I've just been listening to several podcasts and looking around online, some, some thought leaders on this. Women have now been introduced to the culture where not knowing is connoted with not being safe. And so you know, to do mansplaining doesn't mean you need to be in a man's body, actually. It's just this idea of, uh, hey, let me tell you. 
but not let me listen. And that, that's the tie-in to architecture right there. It's like, let me, the uh, architect um, who knows the history of where architecture came from, let me tell you what architecture is. And there's, a, there's, a, there's nothing, there's no way around it. It takes humility to stop and go, architecture is evolving. Architecture is an art and a craft. And one of the key things to think about, and it's something you've done, I'm hoping we can bring this back toward where you've taken Moon Tower, or at least some component of Moon Tower. It's really brave of you to put your business on public display like this, <laughs> in some ways, is, is just the materials palette, right? You know, we, we talk in architecture about the tectonics, which is the materials and what we do with them. And we talk in thermodynamics about this boundary. Like, so I can make a very elegant building. If I draw the boundary right around the enclosure, oh man, that's gonna change my answers on what's a good material. I need a good thermal control layer. If I say, oh, I'm gonna expand that out to like, oh, let's just go to the whole planet. <laughs> Well, I would like to not use materials that don't participate in natural cycles, right? Like, so there's where the foam, spray foam comes in now. It's like, that's anatural. Microbes don't eat it. Um, so you have done a lot of thinking about materials palettes, it seems, uh, certainly recently. Any thoughts on how that's going for you? Or? Before we go there, um, yeah, just to respond to this uh, kind of initial conversation about, like, uh, an architect's opinion not being the only, you know, kind of measure of, you know, architectural value, but also, I mean, maybe not even like that uh, kind of uh, look at it, but there's a little bit of reticence, this kind of mansplaining, like, don't know what you're talking about, uh, thing yeah. that you're talking about, um, is, uh, I remember talking to a lot of people in college in particular, I mean, like, oh yeah, you're at a party, like, oh, what do you do? Like, I'm in architecture school, it's like, oh, like, I found architecture like so interesting but like I don't know I, I don't know anything about architecture so like there was a um, kind of sense and that like a boundary came yeah, up yeah there's about like You're sort of a little side. bit of a boundary <laughs> about like uh and I continued you know uh into like post you know post college life folks being like oh that must be so interesting but I don't know anything about it and that um yeah that boundary or that inability to um you know provide kind of a way to understand or start to build a vocabulary around um things you know fill out you know besides just like building window door um which you know certainly something that you guys do uh particularly around like you know indoor air quality and uh, health uh for sure like being like oh there's actually these other kind of concepts that we need to like I, you know that we need to connect to words um to have a you know kind of deeper conversation about uh what architecture is and what its purpose is in society at you know scale of a block and then the scale of a you know country and a globe and so wow man do you have answers to that <laughs> what is architecture at the scale of a block uh, country uh, on the planet uh <laughs> No, I mean I don't. Uh, I, I I don't have answers. I mean I don't have answers to it. I have. Uh, Do you know the yeah, right questions? Yeah, I've I've, I've responses. Uh, I mean I have responses to it. I think uh, we could steer into what I you know did with this uh, first kind of CLT yeah. you know, kind of case study um, project where uh, I 
tried to like back out a couple, you know, more steps than we usually do. Um, thinking about like, okay, what is this, you know, what is this building going to be? And it's like, okay, like probably doing a concrete foundation, stud, you know, stud wall, like we can, you know, substitute things in and out. Like, are we using like zip sheathing? Are we using zip R sheathing? Like, how are we, you know, kind of thinking of, uh, of it from like just a, the established uh, kind of building component uh, palette and then the material palette and stepping out a little bit further um, to be about, uh, yeah, initially, you know, like, okay, um, if we start to bring in this kind of conversation um, that, uh, you know, this conversation about uh, carbon emissions, uh, what is the carbon footprint of the material, what are the, what's the life cycle impact yeah. of a material. Where from. does it come from? Where does it go? Yeah. Uh, and um, really bring that into uh, the you know, kind of value matrix or whatever about like how yeah, am I going to make decisions about what I want to do. Then it's like, okay, like foundation, um, like, okay, concrete and steel are really probably or you know, my or concrete's my typical option. I want to minimize my use of uh, or eliminate if possible my use of concrete because it's a really high embodied energy material and also I have the, you know, benefit of 10 years of experience where it's like, oh man, like we cut out a lot of concrete when we're taking demoing a structure and it's like I don't know exactly where that's going. I'm assuming it's going to some sort of landfill like so, you know, kind of concerns about the life cycle impact of those things. And yeah, so looking at the foundation problem, be like, okay, concrete and steel, like, okay, steel helical piles, this is a technology we haven't, uh, or, you know, a, a product, a technology we haven't really used before. Uh, let me find somebody who does that. Then let me talk to the structural engineer and be like, helical, helical piles, what do you think? He's like, okay, well, I don't know where we're going to get our um, kind of shear, um, where we're we gonna shear in the structure, like how are we gonna do lateral bracing, and then uh, talking through options there, and you know that uh, I can go into a lot of detail about that. But yeah, finding a new technology, being like, okay, concrete and steel. Steel also a very high embodied energy material. Uh, at least you know the uh, most of the material for American-made steel is going to be recycled. Um, the you know, at least the raw material, so that's beneficial. And then usually, like even now, like uh, you know, in this the past decade, it's like when we take steel apart, uh, that stuff usually getting recycled. Yep. Um, so uh, that's um, that's something where it's like, okay, well, if I'm thinking about this in a kind of zooming out a little bit further, it's like, okay, steel is what I want to do. Um, and then you know, obviously the big uh, thing with the project was this move towards cross-laminated timber. Uh, which was something that uh, I think I was reading the new carbon, you know, architecture or pieces of new carbon architecture based on like one of y'all's because of one of y'all's podcast or something like that. Um, and this idea of, okay, like um, a material that can sequester carbon as it grows, how we can be stewards and the kind of relationship and finding a new balance with the forest, which is, uh, you know, one of the dominant, you know, the, you know, two dominant, like, carbon sinks in, you know, in the globe are going to be your forests and, your, and the ocean. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, it was kind of a different way of thinking. The, the new carbon architecture and then also um, I think Timber City and a few research initiatives by uh, Alan Organchi and a bunch of other you know colleagues uh, yeah. um, were really like, oh man, that's super interesting. Uh, and then the buildings themselves also have the benefits of being really beautiful and eliminating, potentially eliminating a lot of other materials that uh, don't have as favorable either carbon sequestering properties or end of life kind of cycles. Like, Not to mention health. Yes. <laughs> uh, dry, yeah. So you're thinking about, oh, like drywall, like, and a lot of things that I'm, you know, very familiar with from, you know, 10 years of building. Uh, it's like, oh, like, we could have a building that has an all wood, you know, interior uh, that has, you know, health, you know, kind of health benefits, has these broader sustainability benefits, has kind of an interesting, like, impact on the, uh, you know, the change in the uh, satisfaction or at least the, you know, impact of like, oh, like, we put this, we put all these big wood panels together and now we've got this, like, you know, we've got this big space. Like, most of the, a lot of the impact of the architecture is there by putting those panels in place rather than, you know, having it divvied up into so many different trades who are all kind of like, uh, you know, we're dependent on so much coordination between carpenters and drywall people and paint people and steel people to like uh, create these uh, very precise architectural effects uh, in spaces. And it's cool, we, you know, we know how to do it. It takes a ton of time. Uh, it takes a lot of human, time, effort, um, money associated with that uh, to, um, to make those things happen. So the simplicity um, in certain aspects of cross-laminated timber is very interesting to me being like, oh wow, we could really collapse some of these things in one material. You mean, you mean collapse the construction process and the number of trades that you need to coordinate with? Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Uh, co collapse the, uh, yeah, collapse aspects of the, of the construction process. Significantly enough, like mm -hmm. an 80-20 rule kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, scenario is probably the easiest way to put it. Be like, okay, this is definitely changing, you know, 80% of like how this, um, how this building is, um, how the, the kind of the critical path and the process of making this building is going to be significantly like 80% different because of building it around, you know, a cross laminated timber structure and enclosure. And uh, yeah, it will be, you know, it's, it's a challenge to like uh, go over. I mean, it's, it's very doable. It'll just take a little while, but you know, CLT it was like, Oh, like all of these passive house details that I'm seeing in JLC or like fine home building. It's like, Oh, like if you, we if we could create like a big cross laminated timber box that's up on steel, and then we just wrap the whole thing with you know a self it basically self adhered peel and stick, where you're, you know hypothetically uh, it wasn't that clean in the field, but it was close. It's like okay, we can wrap this whole box. It's going to be easier to visually inspect, um, and it's not. Uh, it's it, you're just going to get more. Um, value with less time, less, you know, less human time, um, more, you know, performance, you know, kind of more performance value uh, with, 
you know, kind of with the system. Um, well, so this came out of uh, new carbon architecture and then um, I think this insulation choices document from Building Green. Um, but it's like, okay, like, I want to prioritize. He's showing me a sample of thermal cork, by the way, thermal cork. Yeah. Uh, I want to prioritize um, carbon sequestering. You know, this is kind of, I should have t hit this at the beginning, but with this project, it's like, I want to prioritize carbon sequestering, bio-based, non-toxic materials whenever possible. And if they're not possible for some reason, then getting into things that are, you know, recyclable or recycled, which right. we ended up with steel. Um, but uh, the insulation beyond the cross-laminated timber aspect of this kind of exploration, uh, the insulation was a, a huge, you know, a huge thing. back to insulation I promise um, <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm definitely Cause, cause I know going from, to go all over from speaking to you offline that you had those values in place right? yeah so and you got those from various influences partly starting your career with architecture like maybe architecture doesn't need to be as siloed as is mm -hmm. it coming out conventionally but so what happened was you noticed, wow, if I do CLT, especially right now in the construction industry, trades are expensive, the good ones are on short, you know, long time, long, long time lines. Um, they're they're um, needing to coordinate with each other. So you compress your material palette, you compress the construction, the amount of coordination you need to do and the amount of trades you need to do. Boy, I made that as long-winded as I possibly could. Yeah. And, the, and the point being that you end up with shorter construction schedules, you end up with more control over what happens on site, and it just shows sort of the value here of architect architectural design build. When you say, okay, there's a larger space in which I'm optimizing, it's not just, okay, what does it end up looking like, but how does it end up getting built? And, that, and that's a place where positive energy is really sitting right now, is this uh, working with our amazing team to teams to rethink the design process itself. The process is a technology that is, is currently being rethought and optimized. Um, and I needed to make a couple more things because I know it's things you and I have talked about, but just want to get them out there for, um, this is kind of like housekeeping. One, he said JLC, that's the Journal of Light Construction. If you're not a subscriber to it, amazing, fantastic. It's been around forever, very influential publish, publisher. Um, the other one is, you said a couple of interesting things. You said established practices uh, instead of traditional practices. And I think that is so important to realize that all of you listening today, we exist in an industry dominated by stick-framed lightweight assemblies with multiple layers. And we consider that normal. That is the established industry. You could say, it, you could say it's, it's currently conventional. When, and I use the term incorrectly a lot. I say it's traditional. Really, tradition is a much longer time frame of non-lightweight stick-framed multiple layers. Traditional practices, you could say, were monolithic. They were heavy assemblies. You relied on materials that implicitly came relatively recently from nature without a lot of uh, synthetic components to them, carbon-emitting you know, components. And so each material would have multiple properties, like uh, CLT would have acoustic properties, carbon sequestration properties, it would have uh, mass, thermal mass properties. 
things like hempcrete, things like natural earth plasters, right? They, they all fall into these. They are actually what's traditional. <laughs> yeah. You know, rammed earth, compressed earth block. And I just think it's an important uh, comment to interject, which is that most of you listening today, uh, we are very familiar with established practices, and many of them really went into their ascendancy after World War II. So not a, not a hugely long time ago. And the other one, it's an important point to remember, is that there are many teams, there are many humans around the planet uh, looking at rethinking how to use materials, right? And, you know, kind of the, the two industries that are getting a lot of um, negative press, to say it mildly, are the petrochemical industry and the concrete industry. And there, there, there are bases to those criticisms. And, you know, it's not like a but, and... It is true that modernity itself, our current standard of living, the you know the power powering Miguel's laptop here, that is recording this, and the power of your device that's playing this for you. You know we owe a lot to concrete and to petrochemicals, and uh, and that does not mean we need to use it forever, right? Loyalty is loyalty to future generations, loyalty to our own personal values, preference systems which evolve. So. You have any reactions to that before we go back to insulation? That's uh, you know, sure. Pop quiz I, I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there are three things. I mean, three things there, like you know, that we, you know, I can talk about or not talk about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, because yeah, it was interesting. With uh, one is like this kind of conventional uh, construction, like yeah, so like uh, stick framing, uh, yeah, conventional stick framing. I threw these kind of meditation explorations on cross laminated timber. You know, like, I feel like uh, uh, I was like, oh man, like currently the trajectory of being a practitioner doing conventional construction, it's there's so much about like what can you fit within, you know, now maybe like typically seven ish inch wall. And so now you get things like the dryer box, which is like a super help, you know, it's, it's very helpful, very, very helpful like tool, but there is, it's, it's like how many different products, like how, like how can we, how many different products can we pack into this wall assembly? Yeah. And if you just keep adding products onto, you know, uh, if you keep adding products into this assembly, yes, certain things like the dryer box or zip or whatever like yeah they do offer some simplicity in terms of their installation in certain aspects but like you're not actually simplifying the uh the whole assembly or like what the work that it takes to create the whole assembly and you're not actually like stepping away from it's like okay like where this whole thing started with studs is something you know was kind of an innovation that happened Decades, you know, kind of decades centuries, ago. Like, yes. Yeah, like, it's like, okay. Yeah, but not thousands of years. Yeah, exactly. Um, not centuries. You're like, well, like, like, like you have balloon framing and then going to, like, platform and production framing. A couple um, of centuries. Yeah. Um, but it's like, oh, like, now, like, is there a way to make, you know, aspects of this whole kind of assembly simpler? And then also, like, what is the output? Like, what are, what's the value we're getting out of using the system? And does it justify the investment of, you know, human time and effort? I think uh, human time and effort and the natural resources really need to be think of, like, 
one A, one B, maybe even like they're those are both the critical things. Like, okay, what are we putting, you know, of our own energy as people into like making these things and are these, you know, artifacts, these buildings we're leaving behind we're leaving behind, are they you know, are they justifying it? Are we getting are we getting the most like bang for our, you know, human energy buck out of this uh yeah. you know, this experience? And then natural, yeah, and then natural resources. Are we uh, extracting things that you know? This is kind of getting to the fossil fuel point you're making. Like, are we extracting things from deep in the earth to like supercharge uh, our you know quality of life? But we're not really paying attention, or we weren't really paying attention to like, oh, like maybe there's some reason the earth and the ecosystem wanted to put these things way down, you know, kind of way down hundreds of feet uh, into the Earth's crust. And maybe there's a benefit having these things there. Um, and uh, Not you know, having them elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so that's the, you know, that's kind of the other thing there. Being like, and it's a macrocosm of this kind of conversation about as a practitioner, like, you know, doing uh, design and construction, being like, oh man, like, Maybe I've been using some, you know, some things or using some materials uh, in my building that it's like, oh, like, there's better things to use. Like, there's downsides to this, and now, like, I want to maybe go in a different direction. Yeah. Um, you know, at a society-wide level, it'd be like, oh, you know, we've had a hell of a ride with, like, fossil fuels, and now we're like, oh, shit, like, that's kind of... Maybe that wasn't the maybe that wasn't the best call. Like um, and uh, you know and kind of owning you know owning up to yeah. that as uh, as individuals as you know as, as politicians society, as society like being like oh yeah sorry uh, you know about that uh, but yeah those things don't like unfold uh, over the course of years they don't unfold over the course of a single lifetime it's just like hey there is some things that happened lifetimes ago where it's like, oh man, like this oil stuff, this could be really great. Like, and you know, and there's been a lot of benefits. Like we were talking about at the hemp yeah. conference, like we couldn't sit here and do this without, uh, what the, uh, you know, larger trajectory of like, you know, fossil fuel societies like brought us, but we now are like, oh, like this really is opposing something that the ecosystem was doing for us that's really helpful in terms of uh, providing an optimal uh, atmosphere, uh, an optimal climate for us to thrive in as humans, um, but also here, here. to maintain the biodiversity that's also protecting um, protecting all of these aspects of... Yeah, know. we've somehow gotten into a, uh, an unsustainable and non-viable uh, trajectory and you know you, you know we say it's happened a long time ago really if we had made the course corrections that we knew we needed to make in the 70s we as a culture um, the transition could have been gradual it could have been uh, you know the public good wrapped with industry profit occurring you know hand in hand we have pushed it to an edge right now right like we we are we have had a really bad diet and we need like like angioplasty for the economy or something like we're, we're in a very dire situation um yeah yeah no i think um that was one yeah. uh, one uh i think powerful uh chart or graph uh that uh, there's tons out there regarding climate change but uh the yeah 
quantity of CO2, car, in, the CO2 in the atmosphere and you see this like big oh. turn like rocketing like a you know a stock you know, stock market kind of situation be like oh this is this is amazing uh, but yeah it's happening right around 1970 and i think it's what like 50 percent of all the emissions in the atmosphere have been emitted since 1970 or something there's some like big we doubled um, down man yeah exactly um which uh yeah and I like to think about mid-1800s is where it really started but then it kicked off yeah and gdp since the mid-1800s like per capita gdp has also skyrocketed so it goes it goes both ways i think i would like to steer you but before i steer you back to insulation i want to steer this back to uh, these three letters we've mentioned a lot which is clt um tell us what you know about clt or cool. some subset of what you Yeah, mean. no. Um, <laughs> I'll aim for the most effective subset. Uh, yeah, CLT stands for cross-laminated timber. Uh, you will frequently find it in the family of materials called mass timber. Uh, in particular, it was invented in Germany in the 90s. And the interesting thing that it does is it starts, it kind of bridges these uh, natural uh, properties that wood has an amazing strength to weight ratio it's a renewable you know it's a renewable material etc and it um, you know graphs on hybridizes them with uh, things that are possible now or have been possible in the last uh, 30 years in terms of easier digital kind of scanning of wood for structural properties and then computer enabled manufacturing where with cross-laminated timber, you have generally some odd number of layers, you know, one layer of frequently like two by, you know, material, like two by, two by, two by sixes kind of oriented one direction, then another layer in 90 degrees and then another layer going 90 degrees of two by material, some by, sometimes one by material where with the power of uh, these digital scanners and these big presses and these CNC routers, you can optimize the strength of these individual kind of laminated timber components to create a larger product across laminated timber panel that has really exceptional structural properties, stability properties in a way that can start to can start to compete in some senses with, eh, I'll, I'll abandon that, uh, but yeah, so it's got interesting, uh, can start really, to compete with steel. Yeah, it can start to compete with steel, concrete, concrete. Um, there's a ton of interest, yeah, start to compete with steel, concrete, there's a ton of interest, and the primary interest with mass timber in general right now is commercial construction, because a kind of concrete frame commercial building, whether that be a four-story building or a 20-story building, you can build those things with the mass timber, you know, toolkit, glue laminated timber, uh, cross laminated timber, and you can, one, speed up the construction process, you're downscaling the, or you're downsizing the overall weight of the structure, so the actually foundations can shrink and the concrete associated there can like shrink up. Um, you can get more floors in than you can with a concrete structure because the members are actually thinner. Um, and you're sequestering that carbon when this timber is grown. Uh, the manufacturers that uh, make cross-laminated timber, since there's not that many of them, 
uh, all of them that I've come across are using FSC lumber yeah, or yeah, SFI, yeah. yeah, SFI lumber. Uh, and uh, you know, as we talked about that chart, like the environmental benefits of cross laminated timber do not exist if that timber is sourced from uh, a, a clear cut forest. Mm -hmm. If you're taking out the forest, like you're just doing bad for uh, you know, the climate situation. Um, but if you are uh, a steward of the forest and are taking trees and planting new trees and maintaining that ecosystem, then uh, you are sequestering that carbon in this cross-laminated timber product that you can use to do commercial buildings, uh, but then can also use uh, to make uh, residential structures. Um, and the, the, the light, the relative lightness of these panels, even though they're super heavy, uh, allows them to be uh, manipulated and cut on uh, these giant CNC routing tables uh, that are, you know, 12, 13, up to 12 to 13 feet wide, where you can actually, and this is something I got to see, like, and it was, <laughs> that was pretty rad, like, uh, I was like, okay, I'm modeling this, you know, I'm modeling this panel, I'm modeling in the radius, and then, a few months later, it's like, oh, wow, uh, there's that radius that I modeled, and it is dead on. Um, so that's, uh, you know, something that's, I think, is important with cross-laminated timber and the mass timber industry. It's a way to sort of get back to uh, using a renew renewable resource um, for, um, for construction, and it's wood. It's one of the, you know you know, wood and probably dirt and stone, like our foundational kind of building material. So there is like a getting back aspect to it, uh, which I think is fun to recognize. Um, but, you know, if we're gonna be solving these, uh, or at least addressing these like kind of, these major climate challenges and also just housing challenges with the global population, it's like, we've gotta be taking advantage of computers. Like we gotta be taking advantage <laughs> of the digital fabrication in some way, shape or form. Um, and off-site fabrication. And off-site fabrication. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, obviously, like, I'm just, you know, kind of learn. Like, I'm just kind of sharing what I've seen. Like, oh, they're doing this in Germany. They're doing this in Austria. They're doing this in Switzerland. They're doing this in Finland. They're doing this, you know, in Spain. Like, they're doing this all over, uh, all over Europe. And then a lot of stuff starting to happen in Canada. It's, like, just now really kind of from... The, the you know from Canada down, uh, starting to be more, uh, more and more feasible, and starting to happen more in this, you know, in this place in the world. Yeah, yeah. I want to touch back in the middle of that was um, you saying if you clear cut a forest, obviously that's not the best strategy, and it, it degrades the benefits of using the wood. The wood, the tree itself might be carbon sequestering, but if the forest itself is a net emitter. There's a pretty specious argument there. Like, is the tree beneficial? And I, I don't want to go there. Yeah, um, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. <laughs> SFI versus FSC versus you know no ratings and um, just want to you know put a pin in it for listeners to say that is a very rich uh, and ongoing societal discussion that's happening. And you can kind of end it by saying it is possible with good forestry management practices to create beneficial wood products that are beneficial all through their life cycle. So the fact that it's possible doesn't, it's, you know, it's uh, necessary but not sufficient <laughs> to cause it to be, but it is, um, it is cause for hope. 
So nuts and bolts of it, you rented a crane and did a lot of your own site work as far as rigging and... So I rented a... Oh, wait, excuse me, backing up one more second. You had a truck arrive at your site yeah. with a bunch of panels on it. Yes. And it was your first time, it was your crew's first time? Yes, they'd done, wow. uh, they'd done some uh, SIP, you know, kind of SIP projects before. Okay. Uh, but never, uh, yeah, never cross-laminated timber. Awesome. And uh, definitely my, yeah, first time. Yeah, so we used, and in the planning for this project, and the planning aspect of it is one of the things that is a initial barrier towards like, oh, I want to do like CLT with this really cool uh, material. Maybe like, then it's like, wait, uh, how do I crane? Like, you know, what do I, rigging, like, it, you, it's, you can yeah, spin yeah, out very fast. Because it's like, yeah, yeah so um, I figured all that stuff out with resources that are readily available. Um, so when that truck um, showed up, like a 53 foot, uh, 53 foot bed full of panels, uh, we had a telehandler with a, a 12,000 pound load capacity, uh, about a 45 foot reach. Wow. But we looked at like, there's the diagrams for being like, hey, this is this is the load capacity of the forklift at all these different, you know, kind of like, if it's, you know, 12 feet, or if it's a, like 50 feet out, like dead in front of it, you can only hold 2,000 pounds. If you're like within this, really close to it, it's 12,000 pounds. Uh, but it's like, okay, like, we got the telehandler, uh, or a telescoping forklift, zoom, boom, whatever you want to call it. Telescoping um, forklift, yes. Yeah, telescoping forklift. So get a picture in people's minds. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's and that's common equipment there on most commercial job sites. And it had big pneumatic tires that could roll around the job. Site. Yes, four wheel drive can do like you know crab steering or four wheel steering, like all of that you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we got a whole lot of work out of that thing. We were looking at the clearances for offloading the panels, um, you know, before getting the site, and it was still like you know pretty dicey. And I knew I was like definitely pushing it. Um, we got really close to my house, which, you know, it's my house, so I knew I was taking that risk, but, uh, we're able to, you know, figure out offloading those panels, <laughs> Thread um, the needle with the, um, uh, you know, telescoping forklift. Um, but we had a telescoping forklift for a month and we also used it to offload the steel for the steel foundation. We also used it to place the steel for the steel foundation so we needed less people um to you know do the welding and everything for that steel foundation we needed to get the panels off the street and then we also used that telescoping forklift for installing the panels uh, which isn't the typical kind of installation process usually you are seeing kind of a crane um happen with um, right. uh, with the clt installation but it can be done with a, you know, with a telehandler or a telescoping forklift that you can get all these other things done on uh, or done with on site. Okay, so let's attempt to do like a, a verbal uh, time lapse here. So you built yourself like the steel equivalent of a coffee table. You have a low coffee table, it's flat and level, steel piers in the ground, and then you had steel I-beams and some sort of grid, I guess? Yeah, uh, basically, yeah. Two forty-eight foot um, long, uh, you know, kind of uh, I you know, I, yeah, uh, Y flange, yeah, uh, Y flange beams, and then four lateral beams, all the same, you know, kind of all the same depth, same structural profile, 
uh, yeah, so a table, yeah, basically a big table ready for, you know, And then you lay your panels doing. on it? And then we lay the panels on it. So you put, um, you put the, the floor panels on first, so you end up making like a big stage, or actually like a big table, actually. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Yeah, so we put the floor panels on uh, first, and the wall panels actually had a rabbit, so they would kind of sit, you know, one of the, you know, the, the face layer, the inner layer of the panels, is sitting on the floor panels and then the bottom edge of those panels is sitting right on that wide flange and you're mm. kind of screwing up through that I-beam um, into the wall and the floor panels which are also screwed to each other to yeah create this really rigid frame and steel is uh, has some you know steel at least the way that I've seen it's like it's an easier material to get to like a High you know, eight inch, sixteenth inch, like level across a you know eighteen by forty eight you know foot frame, eighteen foot by forty eight foot frame, than it is with concrete, um, and that precision is critical for uh, using CLT because if you don't have something that's kind of within these really tight tolerances, then you're going to be spending your first day or two kind of reconciling or kind of. Um, you know, doing some yeah. carpentry work. To, Picking a datum and then yeah. matching it. And so, um, did it come with like a Ikea-esque instructions? Like little pictures and knots or was it? <laughs> it didn't come with, uh, it did not come with instructions, but it came with, uh, you know, basically I told them exactly what I wanted based on like the feedback from them and the... And them is? The, uh, structural am. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, Structural AM, um, so they're in uh, British Columbia and newly in uh, Conway, uh, Arkansas. Yay. Yay. Um, so, okay, so you told them exactly what you wanted. Yeah, and kind of worked through like, hey, like, what do you guys need? And the answer for this was, they need pretty much everything. So, but, huh. um, so like all these so details, what, what, what fasteners are you going to use? So, um, because the fasteners were included with the package, right. um, but they have a 80 page design guide. So you can see like, Hey, these are floor to wall details. These are wall to wall details. These are spline details. These are half lap details. Hmm. Um, and with kind of suggested fastener sizing, and then we used uh, uh, MTC um, fasteners. Uh, I think they you know, work with uh, Structural AM and provide fasteners for uh, Structural AM insula uh, you know, installations quite a bit. So they have their own mass timber fastening design guide. So working with that MTC um, design guide, being like, okay, this is the detail that we want to do for you know, for this floor to wall connection and the steel to, you know, steel to floor panel connection. Okay. I'm looking at this in this design guide. I have all these values. I'm going to run this by the structural engineer being like, yeah, 12 inches on center with this fastener. Does this make sense to you? He's like, yeah, this is looking good. Um, you know, I'll run the numbers, but like, this is looking good. And then kind of then relayed that to structural AM and then they built a BIM model in CADWorks. Uh, ah, so you did not build that? No, they built kind of a, you know, I sent them a really, I sent them a, you know, a IFC of my, you know, SketchUp model. Um, but it's like they, you know, they build their own model with their own tolerances in, 
you know, in, and using millimeters as kind of the native dimension, um, or the metric system or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that model though does have they modeled the steel, even though that wasn't part of the package. They modeled all the mm. fasteners with all the spacing. They modeled the splines, um, and the package that came out showed all the panels with uh, a label that said, you know, its thickness, if it was a wall panel, a floor panel, or a roof panel, uh, a number, a unique number for that particular panel, what the weight of the panel was that corresponded to a set that had 3D axons, had plans, elevations, sections, you know, every, everything, the complete, the complete set of drawings look at the whole assembly, including uh, information about all the fastening details. Um, nice. So, uh, yeah, it's, it wasn't like a step-by-step -step IKEA thing, but it's all the information you needed to know about where everything went. And, yeah. and so you, you could, I mean, like, you are talking to listeners, and, uh, you know, would you give them a, like, strongly advised against this unless you have a very strong moral constitution and can handle stress or <laughs> it wasn't too bad or you know yeah i mean i i i definitely uh would you love do it. it again love it want to do it again um you know looking for more opportunities to um to build um build houses this way um it does make it a lot easier and one of the reasons i was like man like I think I can, I can do this. This, you know, this isn't gonna be easy, but I can do this, is by virtue of like, we're a design build company. I don't need to, if I'm an architect who's interested in this, there's plenty of architects who are, it's like, okay, I need to really get uh, a GC on board. And then that GC is also really gonna need to get um, a subcontractor um, on board, uh, you know, in particular, a, a framer or a structural steel person to do, you know, kind of do this, uh, do this erection in something that they've never done, usually never heard about. <laughs> uh, I mean, most of the, you know, most of the folks in, uh, you know, in, in Moon Tower, people I talk to, it's like, it's definitely like, it's probably in 10% or less folks that were like, really knew about cross-laminated timber. Architects more on the commercial side have heard, had heard about it a little bit more, kind of like particularly in the last five years, but most people don't know what it was. So I had the uh, ability to be like, hey, you know, uh, Bill um, uh, with the Madeira Frameworks has been uh, doing uh, framing with us for years. But Bill, I want to talk to you about something. It's like, so I have this sample of cross laminated timber. I'm showing him images of projects from around the world, maybe like one in one in Washington, but then, you know, South America, New Zealand, like all over the place. And like, hey, like, I want to build this house out of cross laminated timber panels. This is kind of like the, you know, the cross section, like cross laminated timber box up on a steel, you know, steel frame, like, you know, box on top of this kind of steel table frame. It's like, you know, what do you think? It's like, oh, uh, like, I, you know, well, like we've done some like SIP stuff before. I don't know, but he's like, okay, like, let's, uh, I'll send you some stuff. Let's talk about it again. And, you know, I talked to him like two or three times over the course of, I don't know, a year about it. And he gradually got more interested and, uh, excited about it. 
and did you know kind of similar things with other you know kind of other subcontractors. And this was like. a framer, classically trained by, as a framer. Yes, uh, and Bill's done a bunch of things, but yeah, like I think uh, Carpenter uh, is probably Carpenter. probably might be his preferred. Uh, I have to ask him, but uh, yeah, definitely. Carpenter totally, extraordinaire. Hundred percent Carpenter. Hundred percent uh, uh, Framer um, and his, uh, you know, and his team. Um, that um, yeah, like they uh, were, and they they've done a lot of out of the box stuff before. Uh, so they were like, okay, yeah, let's you know let's do this. But Bill was also able to provide me advice, being like. Yeah, I think this I'm like I think this can be done. All can be done with a telescoping forklift. Can you come meet me over on site and tell me if I'm crazy? Um, and so we like look at it. And uh, uh, Jeff Hartman, who I work with, he's got a ton of commercial you know, building experience. It's like, like, hey Jeff, I think I want to do this with a telescoping forklift. Like, you know, you see, you see these trees over here. You see this space. Like, do you think I'm crazy? And it's like, yeah, it's like this is gonna be a little tight, but I think you know, I think this could work. Um, and then Bill also offered a lot of advice because I had to buy all of the rigging, you know, because like uh, the panels, when you're oh, putting them in place, it's like they're not sitting on the forks, they're hanging, like more like a crane type installation. So uh, MTC, again, has a rigging guide um, that is more pertaining towards like these are anchor points yeah. and these are the screws you use to apply the anchor points or install the anchor points. If you install them this way, this is the load that they have in this, you know, this is the uh, kind of load capacity they have in this direction and that direction. So take a look at that. Got all the information about like the Whew. panel weights and then talk to Bill being like, Oh, like, <laughs> okay, I think if we connect these to shackles, to you know, shackles that have a structural rating and straps that have a structural rating and then to a chain spreader bar thing that has a structural rating to a swivel hook that has a structural rating to another big strap like and it's like oh we'll buy some other straps and a couple other like you know things like here and there and, and like to hold the yeah yeah and then um cool well uh yeah uh <coughs> cross our fingers and dude yeah. you go man <laughs> we just high five so mtc briefly is that just Mass Timber Connector, or is it named a private company, or is it, it's it the name might, of a company? It might be Mass Timber Connectors now. They are also in British Columbia. It was formerly called Mighty Con. Uh, their specialty is uh, Mass Timber Connectors. Um, okay. Yeah. And it might be MTC Solutions now, but yeah. We need to start circling, circling up here for the end. Um, Let's see, a couple things, three things come to mind from being in the building. And, well, I'm going to say four. Four things come to mind. One, wow, the audacity, the vision, the dream, the aspiration that you pulled off. Congratulations, amazing. And I want everyone listening to have a sense of this can happen. And this can happen, you know, this is, a, I guess you could call this a grassroots movement, right? I mean, uh, Greg Esparza is just someone who said, let's, let's make this happen, and it did. So that's one thing. The second was, and probably the biggest, the aesthetic experience of being in the space. Um, and I can't have for listeners pictures. I guess we can put some pictures in the show there notes. There will be ample pictures in our show notes for yeah. you to go explore. Uh, and, then, and yet that's, that's the visual experience of it. So there's also an acoustic and like a biophilic, and, you know, high fractal content. There's lots of experiences. I'm probably not even aware of all the ones that are happening. Microbial or something. But... Um, you showed me this one shelf that it, it had to be rabbited in and compens you know, accounted for for like 
eight in like eight different panels, and it fit right in. That blew my mind, and it made, made me very happy because I think a lot of us see the writing on the wall that building homes, you know, on muddy job sites out in the elements is not oh perfect. Let, let's see if we can keep this going as long as possible. We, we need to evolve past that. So. This, this fact that you're working with the power of computers, as you mentioned, you know, large CNC machines, panelized, that really impressed me. And where it also impressed me from, is, and, and there's, a, there's a challenge here, is the integration of the mechanical systems, the plumbing systems. The, these sorts of things are typically what gets tucked away in the nooks and crannies of attics and wall assemblies and truss, you know, um, truss bays and such, these interstitial areas. and CLT construction essentially eliminates interstitial spaces. So uh, what I love about that is it means implicitly everyone should be engaging everything early and not just the enclosure was designed from the outset, but the mechanical systems were thought about from the outset. Um, so to the pieces that fit right in, was that like, scary for you, that all the pieces that fit together to make the shelf, or you're just like, prove it, see if this will work. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a long process, but where I got with the design was definitely on the higher end of like the basic to intricate oh, spectrum. Okay, so your very first one was toward the intricate end. Yeah, which I'm, gl I'm glad I did that way um and the way that you know i try to describe that as being like all right let's see how good the robots are like <laughs> and the robots that ended up being are pretty good um they're the actually really good. really good wow. <laughs> like, so um <laughs> yeah and uh I, I was thinking basic originally not going to get into that that but i'm glad i did something that was more intricate because okay. yeah we only made we made zero cuts on any structural panels um, the entire structure on top of the steel came out from structural lamb. There's no like infill framing or anything that we had to do that was structural. Uh, there's non-structural infill framing, but the entire structure is this, you know, CLT package with two glue lamps. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, I have a comment. See how, see how the, how good the robots are, uh, was that response to that aspect of your question. Yeah, good. So and thinking about like what we're going to cover and not cover as we wrap up. So we will have to talk another time about mechanical systems and early design and things like that. I also want to bring up uh, like kind of the whole ecosystem here was it started with your design. It started with your thinking broadly about the practice of architecture and construction, uh, and then it moved into this project, right, where you were like no foam, no concrete. I'm going to work with CLT for the first time. That was amazing. And so you've pulled off a lot of the hard things and then you get, you've created this, this CLT box. It kind of reminds you of like a, a large piece of um, handcrafted furniture that you get to live inside now, you know, with windows. And by the way, there are windows, Lots of, plenty, <laughs> plenty of glazing, plenty of spots to see outside. But the point being here that uh, this is the Building Science Podcast, right? And so you got a wooden box, right? That ain't it. Right? You're going to leave that out in the weather and it's going to yeah. get rained on and humidity is going to move through it and pests are going to eat it. And so you have to insulate it and yep. you have to put on some sort of control layer. Mm -hmm. If you could relatively briefly, let's start with the control layers. Like what did you put on the, the six sides? So with cross laminated timber and mass timber in general, we're like, oh man, like I, where do I start? Like 
uh, it does take an enormous amount of work to figure out how to do this stuff, but all the guides are out there. So uh, VaproShield uh, publishes their uh, Mass Timber Design Guide. It's Mass Timber something, Mass Timber Installation Guide. Uh, readily available online, totally free. It's like 56 pages, RDH Building Science did it. Um, hmm. And it shows you, it takes you through like air, water, thermal considerations, and then details for walls, etc. So I used uh, a suite uh, of VaproShield pro products for uh, my air control layer, my water control layer, uh, making sure that uh, you know, you'll see kind of different, you know, different information out there. But I went with a, a vapor open uh, kind of assembly approach where the you know, cross laminated timber is acting kind of as the least permeable element in the uh, in the assembly. Uh, if there's moisture and you want to plan on there being some moisture kind of during installation or during transport. Um, putting the Vapor Shield Wrap Shield SA, so it's a self-adhered uh, air and uh, water control layer. It uh, can be applied before it's transported to your site. Now, y yes. Now, may now, now maybe. Although a Vapor Shield just came out with a product called Panel Shield, uh, which is not what we used here. It came out since we did the project, but. Um, wow. Yeah, there is an opportunity to do that. Uh, I don't know if manufacturers are offering that yet, but okay. it is a new product. It is a new product that I is out there. Heard that specific. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, so, uh, in any case, Vapor Shield provided all these details. So, using their uh, Wrap Shield SA, using their LiquiFlash product, um, and then using the Slope Shield um, SA, another self-adhered uh, roof underlayment. Roof underlayment. That's um, so. Uh, yeah, that was. What about underneath? Underneath, also using the Wrap Shield SA. So you put that on first. Before yeah, you attach and then, it to the steel. Correct. So it did. Uh, the fact that it was a self-adhered product. This was also called out in the in their Mass Timber Guide, Vap Shield, Vapor Shield's Mass Timber Guide is like, hey, like you can install this stuff before you actually put thing, you know, install the panels. So what we did That's from awesome. Structure Lamb, uh, the panels came like, you know, wrapped in kind of building paper, cut that building paper off. Uh, then we've got the, um, you know, then we've got the kind of panels uh, all laying flat, really easy to roll out and install a self-adhered uh, control layer. So we go ahead and do that in place, and then we attach our anchors, pick up the panel, and we're able to install it where we only have the kind of junctures at the splines that are infilled with one, essentially like one by six pieces of, uh, of plywood. We only have these junctures at these splines to deal with which Vapro Shield also sells the wrap flashing SA, which is essentially their wrap shield SA cut into a 12 inch wide roll. Um, and we then just take that roll, being like, cool, we're just going to cover this blind with another self adhered um, strip that's, you know, so it, it made the air barrier water control air installation way easier. Um, so, did you test yeah. the air barrier? We have not tested the air barrier yet. Right. I'll Part probably two. be talking to you guys about that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, six side box, you wrap it with vapor open. Um, the top was different. Let's 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 start insulating it now. So let's start at the top. Um, yeah. 
you got a couple ways, if I remember right, to insulate it. That was a couple of approaches. What would be your recommended approach um, based on your low, your high carbon sequestration material preferences? No foam kind of preference. Yeah, so I was looking you know, primarily at the wall and uh, roof first. You know, the floor uh, was also definitely a consideration. Yeah. Uh, but with the wall, I gravitated uh, early on towards uh, Thermacork. Um, a product that has uh, two, you know, two distributors in the uh, in the U.S. and we'll be having a, a third soon. Um, so um, um, yeah, so this product is a hundred percent cork. It uh, is harvested from trees in Portugal every nine years. Trees live about two hundred fifty years, um, but it is a you know, carbon negative, climate positive material at point of, you know, kind of point of harvest. And it's the only material I know of that can provide a continuous insulation value uh, between R3.4 and R4 an inch, depending on wow. the density. That's insane. Yeah. That's great. Um, but can also be exposed as a final exterior finish, which there is tons of Even beautiful, better. like, products, uh, uh, or beautiful buildings that use that as a final finish uh, in in Europe mostly, and there's some in the U.S., but it hasn't been used as much in the U.S. And then like kind of getting back to like I feel like there was this you know there's this maybe other kind of thread that you can talk about here where it's like oh like we kind of got away from like wood oh it, it rots it does this or does that it's like it's like yeah wood rots if you don't pay attention to its properties and don't use it correctly um, so. Uh, I think about it kind of like, you know, processed, you know, processed food in some ways being like, oh, like we've had a lot more kind of like processed food type elements that have sort of come into our buildings rather than things that are, you know, prime, you know, prime natural ingredients or like in, in a format that is a lot closer to how something actually grows out of the earth. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the, you know, the cork it's bark and the the, the enclosure assembly from a wall perspective is you know four inches of uh of softwood um dug fir and spruce in this case uh your water and air controller and then bark as your exterior you know so it is like it, it is like a tree um which you know has uh is you know a fun like you know uh poetic way to describe kind of the uh, uh assembly um but using these natural materials one it fits my uh, the criteria I set for myself about a carbon sequestering material that's renewable, it's totally biodegradable at the end of the building's life. You just throw it in the, you know, throw it in the yard or whatever, and it would just, you know, it would just kind of, you know, go back to the earth. Microbes um, would eat it. Microbes would eat it. Um, but uh, wood, and we'll probably talk about this more maybe another time, but yeah, the wood, the cork, it's got thermal, uh, it has a lot of, uh, thermal mass or the specific the combination of its specific heat and the density of the material as compared to like a polyisofoam or an XPS there's actually a lot of heat storage capacity that it can provide uh, which also applies to the CLT uh, with a different you know kind of different R value the CLTs are 1.2 an inch but uh, it is uh, an enclosure that has different thermal properties that you guys would be more equipped to technically kind of uh, describe. Um, but thermal delay, thermal diffusivity um, are uh, two of the kind of 
properties that you talk about when you're talking about cork, when you're talking about wood fiber insulation, when you're talking about CLT, the way that you, the way that thermal energy moves through the wood is beneficial for having a comfortable environment for humans to live in. So that was a... And you mentioned yeah. a vapor throttle or, or the, the CLT has a decent vapor throttle. Do you remember the perm rating of four inch? I, I believe it's around one and a half to two perms. Oh, that's nice and low. Um, and that's for the whole assembly. It's not per inch. Uh, it would not, I believe that would apply to, it's going to change with thickness levels, but I think that would apply to the four three inch. and a half or the four inch, basically a three ply CLT panel, I think is going to be around that. And then that. the cork, it's probably very vapor open. Yes, I think the cork um, is going to start maybe, if you're talking about like an inch, I think it's maybe going to start around like five or six oh, perms. So not, not even crazy high there. Yeah, and then the uh, five or six perms, you start getting up to like six inches, then maybe you're getting to like, you know, two perms. Mm -hmm. um, but the uh, Vapro Shield, you know, the Vapro Shield's like, it's like 30 or 50 perms. Yeah. Um, so, but it's a good air barrier, right? So, you're yes. knocking out the air transport. Yeah. And then totally, the roof, yeah. you put cork, and then, or. And then the roof, um, so the roof. Uh, I mean, is you where put I actually, cork as insulation, you didn't use it as your water shedding plane. <laughs> yes, exactly. No. Uh, so then on the roof, um, yeah, so we got this uh, wonderfully simple uh, wall assembly being like four inches of CLT, wrap shield, vapor shield, wrap shield SA, two inches of cork. Uh, three components all can be installed by the carpenter. Um, you know, final finishes on both sides are the CLT and the cork. Um, that's you know definitely one of my favorite things to yeah. point out like when I'm at the... Uh, um, uh, when I'm at the house. Uh, yeah, it eliminates all the other trades and labor that you would need to go another lap or two around the building, inside and out. Yeah, every corner. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, um, and the you know, then the fractals, the patterns, the stuff that you were kind of mm -hmm. talking about, which, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just read, like, when you brought it up. It was like, oh, yeah, like, having these kind of fractal patterns of the wood grains, like these really complex, like, kind of natural uh, wood grain patterns is calming is you know mm -hmm. and it feels like it's like oh like you know it kind of feels like a factoid but it's like oh that actually makes total sense and it's not like a something that was you know in a yelp review or something it was like uh it's like oh they did research on this in uh you know they you know in a scientific uh, yeah. way so mm -hmm. um so the roof yeah. anyways roof um uh again we have actually three and a half inches of CLT, uh, which is spanning 18 feet. Um, so uh, it's something that's worth touching on, like uh, thinking about CLT as a material. Floor and the roof are spanning uh, about 18 feet, a little bit shy of 18 feet. Floor panels five and a half inches thick, roof panels three and a half inches thick. If you think about the thickness of a structural roof assembly, it's like, and that's pretty crazy. And the fact that it's exposed as your finish inside is, very, very, I mean, totally unique. I'm like, yeah. whoa, like, man, this could, this could be really, this could really, really be something. Um, that cross section was something I was really initially being like, whoa, like, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but getting back to the roof, so you got three and a half inches of CLT. Um, you have a slope shield SA. Um, originally, I wanted to look at a rigid, uh, you know, rigid kind of bio based insulation for. 
that assembly, it became very difficult to get one um, with, uh, yeah, with, because you had the pandemic. Yeah, we had the pandemic, there was a Suez Canal thing, um, and still like those, those rigid, um, yeah, the, the, anyways, those rigid bio-based installations, basically you're looking at cork, um, and then you're looking at uh, wood fiber uh, insulation, uh, primarily, uh, with things that can actually be, Put on as uh, you could do, uh, you know, a minimum of like five inches of, you know, rigid board insulation on top of that assembly, and then do furring strips on top of, you know, basically on top of that, and then do a, you know, kind of a double, a double lock sanding seam uh, roof on top of this. In the case of the assembly, I had to move away from that, and and but keeping that criteria of a bio-based insulation, being like, okay, like what is something that I can get. And hemp, um, in particular hemp wool, was a material that met all of my um, kind of sustainability uh, or kind of you know, criteria about carbon sequestration, et cetera. Um, and it was something that I could get. So what uh, I ended up, you know, kind of doing or in the process of doing is like a two by eight over roof on top of this Seal. slope shield essay. Um, and the VaproShield um, guide uh, had an assembly kind of like this that, uh, like, okay, slope shield SA, basically a two by eight over roof, then putting these two by eight hemp wool bats into this, uh, into this over roof, then decking that, and then doing slope shield SA on top of that. So you've got like kind of a double, you know, sort of a double layer of uh, those control layers, which would, you know, it'd be nice to have a single one, but like we're doing, uh, doing two in this case. Um, and then that, uh, that hemp wool is R28 at a two by eight, uh, thickness and also shares nice. a similar, um, uh, similar properties to the cork, to the wood fiber insulation where it's like, okay, there's a lot of like heat storage in this material. There's some like, you know, hybrid, you know, hybrid buffering, like moisture kind of diffusion properties kind of. Um, kind of happening again things that you guys are be more equipped to like dive into the details about uh, that but um, yeah so the hemp will met those kind of uh, requirements and then doing a you know double lock a standing seam roof on mm-hmm. you know on top of that and you know not getting into you know not doing too much uh, brain damage about that being like okay this metal probably be, re- be recyclable durability is a critical factor when we're thinking about the life cycle impact of the structure yeah. so like Metal roofs, good thing to do, not gonna do TPO. Awesome. I and, love metal roofs. And you had, so you had no CI in your over roof assembly, but the, the CLT itself is like an R4 plus, so it's like interior Correct. CI. Yeah, the three and a half inch CLT, so it's R1.2 an inch, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's right around R4.2, 4. 4. 4. 4. something like that. Yeah, um, so yeah, we'd have to, you know, kind of, we'll have to sort of see how, um, yeah, I think it's gonna perform well. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping like it's gonna perform well. It's a question of, like how well it performs. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, with that. Um, but yeah, when you start thinking about the CLT as a tight, you know, sort of CI layer, and there is a lot of information out there about the thermal mass, thermal kind of properties of uh, having. You know, it's a different class in the IACC. 
uh, solid timber and now as of the IACC 20, uh, 2021, mass timber is specifically called out as a mass wall, not a wood cavity frame wall assembly. So it has different kind of parameters. So those, you know, kind right. of different properties have been uh, recognized, uh, not in a way that I would, you know, dive into the details about that much further than that, but it's like, oh, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Let's build this yeah. and see, you know, see how this goes. And, the, and that's another, I mean, that's like a kind of a quick thing to touch on. It's like, the mass timber industry has been around long enough and with that kind of commercial thrust, CLT is in the code. Um, if you have uh, cross-laminated timber panels that have been uh, meet the ANSI APA 320 or like PRG 320, it's like it's in the IRC. Like, so uh, that's something that is also like, if it wasn't in the IRC, like, yeah, you know, how do you get that? Yeah, how do you get that? You know, how do you get done in the city of Austin? So, yeah, um, well said. Well, I think uh, we have gotten to the end of it. We built you a six-sided box on a metal coffee table in your backyard, and um, I'd love to have you back. I'd love to hear how it, when you finished it, and I'd love to understand more about like how it affects you as an architect in the practice of your craft, your your art, and your craft. And you're you know you have a business you're running, and you have. Um, other leaders in the business that have to learn or understand how, how you guys are all relating to this as, as an opportunity for Moon Tower or a, a potential um, stumbling block for Moon Tower. I mean, it's an interesting, it's a very rich time in our, in our industry. Yeah. Yeah. Miguel, you got any final thoughts? I'm just excited this is happening in Austin. And thanks for giving us the tour, too. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So we'll, we'll share some pictures with you all, uh, listeners, um, pictures of the insulation, different products that he mentioned but um, everyone keep an open mind traditional practices are actually monolithic and we're just experiencing established practices (laughs) probably optimized for low first cost so Greg thank you so much thank you all for listening